I'm going to ask Kat to come up and read something that she read in the, uh, the prayer time before the meeting. If you read your email that you got this week, you would have seen that I, I talked about, or I it was mentioned that uh, Sunday is game day. It's match day, isn't it? If you were a, you know, a sports person, you would train all week for game day, for the match day. It, you know, maybe the night before you'd have laid out your kit ready to get, I'm, I'm on it in the morning. And that's what Sunday is for us as Christians. See, the Christian life is about much more than Sundays. But in some ways, it's match day. And the warm-up is, you know, when you're going through your paces, that's the prayer time before. I'll tell you what, we went straight into the match this morning, as we so often do. And Kat read this, uh, some, some lyrics from the song, and I asked her to, to read them before we uh, go into the words. So. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah, I was walking here this morning and um, I probably, let's be honest, haven't really encountered the Holy Spirit in about four years. Um, I've been on a bit of a wrestle with my faith. Um, but this morning he decided just to come crashing in, so that was fun, bawling my eyes out on the way here. Um, and it was to the lyrics of this song. I can't comprehend your infinitely beautiful and perfect love. Oh, I've dreamed dreams of majesty, as brilliant as a billion stars, but they're never bright enough, because after all, you are holy. I will sing a song for you, my God, with everything I have in me, but it's never loud enough, because after all, you are holy. Heaven and earth are full, full of your glory, your glory. My soul, it overflows, full of your glory, your glory. And blessed is he who reigns, full of your glory, your glory. My cup, it can't contain all of your glory, your glory. Hosanna, we are found. After all, you are holy. Amen. Thank you, Kat. <clears throat> I'm sure Kat will tell you uh, who sang that song, and that if you're interested, uh, in listening to it and bawling your eyes out, if that's something that you do in response to the Spirit. I, um, I hope, my name's Aaron, by the way, if, you, if you're relatively new, I'm one of the elders here. Um, I hope that you have got the message this morning that God wants to communicate to us. He is holy. He is sovereign. And he loves you it's it's come through so strongly even as we we're praying before the service and i feel in this time the time of worship that we've had we've sung songs about he's worthy of everything he deserves praise he deserves every breath that we could give him and he is glorious and holy and in many ways we we shouldn't even be able to approach him but his mercies are new and he welcomes us in anyway but, but he's so glorious and so awesome. I, we have to cower before him. But he welcomes us in anyway. And he says, come. And I, I, I can't remember your uh, son's name, but he was coming in here dancing. And I was just thinking, that's Andy shared before the meeting. It's like a childlike response. We just come into his presence and we're just enjoying being with our father. He is holy. The point is about relationship. He wants to have relationship with us. And the good thing about relationship, 
I can chim. I've been here for two months. Two months. Yeah, this is like I was genuinely gutted when I said, "Oh, we're moving." I was like, "Oh, man, who else am I going to talk to Shep to about shepherd's pie and how boring it is?" But he's interested in trying it. You know, just as as a slight aside, massive endorsement. Get involved in an explore group. Two months and people will be weeping if you have to move away or if they can't see you for an extended period of time. It's about relationship. Relationship with God, relationship with one another. And the good thing about relationship is once it's established and it's strong and it's good, in Proverbs, it talks about you can, you can then start to have real conversations with people. Now, there's a proverb uh, that says, uh, an enemy multiplies kisses but wounds from a friend can be trusted. You know, have you got people that would just say nice things to you all the time? They never challenge you about anything. You know, you could look at them as an enemy in some ways because they never really get to the, you know, understand what I'm saying, never really get to the core of what's going on. But wounds from a friend can be trusted. Andy could say pretty much anything to me. And I'd go, oh, okay. <laughs> Feels a little bit sore. But I trust you, partly because, you know, we're elders, we've, we've been through some stuff together, and he's known me since I was, you know, small. Wounds from a friend can be trusted. I love you, brothers and sisters, I love you. Some of what I say this morning might wound you. I hope that it doesn't, I'm not, that's not my intention. My intention is not to be careless or callous, but I love you. And so I hope that you can trust me if you feel, well, oh, that feels a bit sore, or, oh, that wasn't very sensitively said. It's not intentional, but I, I need, we need to hear the truth. I had uh, a picture this morning uh, as we were praying of the scene in uh, Terminator 2, uh, this is, you know, and I don't know if you know that film, but there's a scene where uh, the main character has like a premonition type thing, or it's like a, dr a nightmare about what's going to happen about doomsday. And she's standing by a playground, needless detail, but she's standing at this fence and a nuclear explosion goes off. And the sort of the brightness, you see it, and then this wave hits her and like, Everything is peeled away and then there's just this skeleton holding on to the fence. And it's a bit, you know, I understand this is not a particularly nice image. I just felt God saying in that, when we come into his presence, his holiness, because after all, he is holy. When we come to know him, when we're in his presence, he wants to blast away, melt away everything that isn't holy. He wants to cleanse it away. And what's left is not a skeleton just clinging onto a fence, but a holy, righteous, made new, new creation that we can be. I just had that image this morning. As I was preparing the sermon this week, I had, I haven't got the clicker. Could you just click on to the next thing? I had an, this image, kind of. Do you remember this game? What was the point of this game? Were you meant to get the marbles or not make the marbles fall? I don't know. Not make them fall. Okay. I didn't understand this game. I think I played it twice. But I had this image, but a brain. 
And it had these, these rods going through in the brain. And the brain didn't work properly um, because of these things. And uh, I felt like God was saying two things as I was preparing for this. One, I'm just, you know, going for this. Does anyone have migraines? Does anyone suffer from I know Sue does. Yeah, I feel God wants to, to heal you of your migraines. So I'm going to pray for that and, you know, you can sort of monitor that. And over the next you know, week or so, or however often they occur, if you're healed of that, it would be great if we could have testimony. Um, so I'm going to pray for that in a second. But I feel like God was saying he's going to pull out these rods from your brain, these like rods of pain in your migraine. So I'll pray for, there's three people here, so I'll pray for that. But I also felt God was saying that there are things that have been jammed into your brain, our brains, that he wants to pull out because they affect how we think about things, how we think about ourselves, and our understanding of the gospel. So I'm, I hope some of that happens this morning. If you stick with me, then maybe it will. <laughs> we'll see what the Holy Spirit does. But that's what I felt God wanted to communicate to us this morning. So, Father, I just want to thank you that you speak to us. You are an active close relational God. Jesus, you are a living saviour. Holy Spirit, you are active and at work in our lives. And I pray right now by the power of the Holy Spirit and in the authority of the name of Jesus, that these migraines, these these three uh, women that suffer from migraines over here and anyone else who uh, put their hand up as well, they would be healed in the name of Jesus. That these uh, shards of pain would be pulled out and there would be stillness and peace and just a, just such a freedom from this pain. In, in Jesus' name, amen. Oh, thank you. As if by magic. We are going to be uh, reading, we're in the last two chapters of Ezra. Uh, so we're going to look at 9 and 10. We're not going to read all of the chapters, um, all of both of those, but we're going to sort of look at that uh, particularly the beginning of chapter 9, uh, first of all. The end of chapter 10, we'll maybe look at the last verse. But if we cast our mind back, it feels like a long time since we were looking at Ezra. Uh, I don't know if that feels like that to you. But um, what had happened is Ezra had brought his team with him to, to, uh, back to Jerusalem. And the, they had had their sort of recovery time, if you remember. You know, they travelled uh, they didn't want a, an escort. They arrived. They had some recovery time and they brought the stuff for the temple to beautify the temple, to make it look good and uh, help with the worship of God. Then they worshipped God and they began to encourage the individuals, the people who are already in the land. And we hear a bit later on uh, some in Nehemiah, which we we'll get into, we hear some more about Ezra and everyone's having a good time with him. In these chapters, it's not quite uh, what's going on. And Ezra 9 and 10, they, they can be quite difficult for us. It, we have to remember some things. We have to remember this is a, a very different culture. This is a long time ago, a long way away. You know, once upon a time in a land far away. It's, 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 you know, it's a long time ago, thousands of years. Think how much the world has changed in the last 200 years. Even the last, hundreds, even the last 50 years, the world has changed. Two, well, two years, yeah. Um, so it's lots, it's very different. We need to hold that in and remember that. 
So I'm going to read a few verses and then I'm going to explain what happens in the rest of the two chapters and then we'll look at a few key sections and we'll see what God wants to say to us through these things and hopefully uh, what he wants to say to us, what, he's, what he said then and what he's saying now to us. So uh, let me just get to it. Okay, this is Ezra chapter 9. These are the first uh, five verses and it will come up on the screen. Uh, here we go. This is Ezra 9. After these things had been done, so after they'd arrived, after they'd worshipped, after they'd uh, sort of began to encourage people, uh, the officials approached Ezra and me and, and the people of Israel and, the, and they said this, sorry. The officials approached Ezra and they said this, the people of Israel and the priests and the Levites have not separated themselves from the people of the lands with their abominations. From Canaanites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Jebusites, the Ammonites, the Moabites, the Egyptians and the Amorites. For they have taken some of their daughters to be wives for themselves and for their sons. So that the holy race or the holy offspring has mixed itself with the people of the lands. And in this faithlessness, the hand of the officials and chief men has been foremost. This is Ezra speaking. As soon as I heard this, I tore my garment and my cloak, and I pulled hair from my head and beard and sat appalled. Then all who trembled at the words of the God of Israel, because of the faithlessness of the returned exiles, gathered around me while I sat appalled until the evening sacrifice. And at the evening sacrifice, I rose from my fasting with my garment and my cloak torn, and I fell upon my knees and spread out my hands to the Lord our God, or my God, and then he goes on to pray, which we'll look at in a moment. But what happens is, because these uh, people have, have married into these other people groups that are there, they've begun to be drawn away into their religious practices, their worship of other gods. It says here, into their abominations. And what happens is after this, after Ezra sort of gets up and he, he prays and then more people gather to him. As he's praying, people hear the words of his prayer and they go, this is not right. We, we're with you, Ezra. We, we're, we're sitting with you. We're standing with you. We're behind you. And then they just, they just spend some time waiting on God, fasting, mourning over the sin. And eventually, someone from the community proposes a solution, which is radical. And it's extreme, especially to our ears. And what they say is, what they should do is all these people who've married to these other people, they need to divorce. They need to separate themselves. And so they say to Ezra, we're behind you, do it. Ezra says, this is what we're going to do. And, he, and that's what happens. They divorce from these wives that have led them astray. And they return to worshipping God. Now, if you don't read that and think, this, I don't understand this. This does not seem like something that God would want to happen. You know, maybe reread it. There is a problem that's happened in the, in the people of God. They have not separated themselves from the people of the land 
with their abominations. They had intermarried with people of other faiths and it meant that they were being drawn away to other gods. This was something that was explicitly forbidden in Deuteronomy 7 when God's talking to them and saying, this is the land I'm going to give you. This is what it's going to be like. This is what you're going to do when you get there and you mustn't do these things. One of those things was, it says this literally in Deuteronomy 7 verses 3 and 4, you shall not intermarry with these people, giving your daughters to their sons or taking their daughters for your sons, for they would turn away your sons from following me to serve other gods. Then the anger of the Lord would be kindled against you. I want to be 100% clear about this. We've got our international diversity celebration, whatever you want to call it. This is not a, a race issue. This is not about like keeping a particular, you know, sticking with your own tribe or whatever that you have terminology you would call. This is not about that. This is about the people of God being drawn away into other faiths, into practices which are, we'll look at in a moment, are abominations. It's not about not associating with people from a different nationality. Lots of the a particular note that says the foremost people among us are the chiefs and the leaders. The people who should have known the word of God and been teaching it to others were the foremost in their misbehavior. The people who are meant to be setting the spiritual temperature for everyone else were forsaking their responsibility. And it showed there was no, there was no desire or no intent to have a spiritual life at home. You know, it's all well and good being here on a Sunday morning. Oh, fantastic time of worship. But then when you get home, you know, being like a bear with a sore head or, you know, being unkind and being a rude person, not paying any mind to what God wants, sinning. Ezra refers to the leaders in these chapters as faithless. They'd begun to partake in the abominations of the people. The psalmists describe it like this in Psalm 106. It says, they did not destroy the peoples as the Lord had commanded them. That's what God said. He said, you need to get rid of these people, get them out. So they did not destroy the people as the Lord commanded them, but they mixed with the nations and learned to do as they did. They served their idols, which became a snare to them. They sacrificed their sons and their daughters to the demons. They poured out innocent blood, the blood of their sons and daughters, whom they sacrificed to the idols of Canaan, and the land was polluted with blood. Thus they become unclean, became unclean with their acts, and they played the whore in their deeds. didn't think I'd use the word whore in a sermon very often, but it's there, it's in the word of God. They poured out innocent blood. They polluted the land with the blood of their sons and daughters. The last verse of chapter 10, is it the last verse of chapter 10? Let me just check. There's a list at the end of chapter 10 of all the people who had married foreign wives. And then the last verse, I was talking with someone about this week, it says, all these had married foreign women and some of the women had even born children. 
Some of, those some of the children would have been born and they would have been involved in child sacrifice. That's what would have happened. That's what the Bible says. They've been drawn into their abominations. That sounds horrific. Some of these people had married these women and they'd even had children. The, sort of the, the thought is that the fact that it was notable that some of them had children was that this wasn't like these Israelite guys were going, I've seen this woman, she's my one true love. I'm going to marry her and we're going to have a family and build a community. A lot of these guys would have had wives already. My wife's getting a bit old. Hey, that girl who lives here, she's one of those girls that part of their worship is they have sex loads. Well, maybe, maybe she wants to marry me. I'll, I'll marry her. She's quite attractive. I can enjoy that. Bye, old wife. I've got a new fun wife. Oh, yeah, of course, love. Whatever you want to do. You want to do that with our baby? Okay. This is what's going on. This is why it's a problem. This is not my one true love and God's forbidding me from being with you. This is I'm abandoning my responsibilities and I'm following horrific evil practice. I'm driving this point home because I think we can look at this and go, oh, they said, you know, they're divorcing them all. Seems a bit much. I don't think it does. They weren't drawing these people into worship of God. They were being drawn away. They were being drawn away by the lure of sex. Something we see today. In 2020, which obviously is, you know, I imagine statistics have changed, there were two, there were just under 210,000 abortions in the UK. Less, less than 4%, if you combine these factors, less than 4% were to save the mother's life, to benefit children that were already born, like because there would have been an impact on them, or because there was something wrong with the baby. The majority of those, 77%, were women who are sort of under 21. There are young people out there being lied to, being told you can have sex without consequences. It's fun, enjoy it. I don't know if, you, if you're here and you've had an abortion, I hope I'm not wounding you. I love you. And there is grace for you and God loves you and the specific circumstances of that. I don't know. I don't know. But I love you. This is not right. This practice is child sacrifice in the name of easy, cheap sex and convenience. It's not right. And we, as the church, are meant to be a buttress of truth. A, a, a point that says, no, that this is true and you can't change that. We need to be able to step into these areas lovingly and carefully and with you know, affection for people who have been lied to and tricked. 
and are probably dealing with some stuff and say, there's grace for you. And we need to be able to speak to young women as they're growing up and saying, this is what the truth is. This is, this is the reality. It's one thing to worship God and give him honour on a Sunday or maybe on a Wednesday evening. It's another thing to give God your worship when you're on your own and you're on your phone. No, there's an MP this week, isn't there? It's still alleged. Looking at pornography in the House of Commons. I mean, if it wasn't so awful, it would be funny. But it's ridiculous. The average age, and this is maybe a slightly outdated statistic, the average age for a child to see pornography is nine years old. Nine years old. It's not deliberate often, but that is madness. And we have been conditioned to not really, I mean, I think most people would be shocked by that. But actually, 13, 14, oh, it's just a bit of a laugh. They're curious. We have had spikes put into our brain that think this is acceptable. It's not acceptable. There's a fantastic organization. When was it? The dinner happened already. That did, yeah. This week, there was a dinner for a, an organization called Dignify, which is uh, chairpersoned by Helen Roberts, who is part of the leadership team of Wellspring Church in Watford. And it's, it, they're sort of doing great work in uh, teaching young people about what healthy relationships are. They're, one of their ambitions, I think, if, I'm, if they haven't changed it, is for Watford to be a porn-free town. I think that's still one of the things, I'm not sure. Wouldn't that be great? Because these things... When you watch pornography, this is cycle, this is, you know, medically true. Something happens in your brain that changes the way that you view, if you're a man, view women and how you view sex. It's a spike forced into your brain. God wants to remove those spikes. Have we or are we in danger of aligning ourselves with things that aren't in keeping with the call of God on our lives to be holy? Have you done that? I'm not talking about like momentary lapses. Oh, you know, I just I made this mistake and, you know, it's not my normal pattern of behavior. I'm talking about like oh, I'm, I'm aligning myself with this. Spikes have pierced our minds and are shaping how we think. 1 Peter 1 says this, Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that, brought you, uh, that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. God's ambition for you is holiness, not happiness. 
you will have joy. Joy and happiness are not the same thing. Okay? God's ambition for you is holiness. He can blast away any mistake you've made. Any sin you've done, anything that you think, oh, I'm so sorry, God. I didn't, I, I didn't mean, you know, I, I meant it at the time. I know it's wrong. He can blast it away. And you're dressed in white and forgiven. That's the offer. That's the offer of the gospel. I'm sorry, I'm well off my um, notes here. Ezra prays. Ezra responds to what the people have done. He mourns. He pulls out his beard. He pulls out his beard and hair from his head. Have you ever felt like that about something? I tell you, I have. Like I've been so angry with something that I've like grabbed my hair and yanked on it. But I stopped myself before I pulled the hair out. Ezra has gone like full, I don't know, caveman or whatever you want to say. He's ripping hair out of his beard. He's tearing his... Imagine I got up here and I just ripped my shirt open. You know, I wouldn't be able to do it. I'm not strong enough. And there wouldn't, you know, it wouldn't be nice for everyone. There's not like an S emblazoned underneath. <laughs> Imagine, like, if that happened on a Sunday morning, you know, the preacher gets up, just sits down. Like, what would your reaction be? Would your reaction be, oh, I'm going to come and sit next to him? Because that's what the people do. All the people who trembled at the word of God, they come and sit next to him. He's serious about the things of God. We talked about this last time. Surround yourself with people who are serious about the things of God. They come and sit next to him. Ezra's not feeling great. They're not there to support him. They're not there. That's not what they were saying. They're not saying, oh, Ezra looks a bit upset. They're like, God's doing something. And I, I, I want to be on the right side of it. Ezra prays. He turns his face to God and he says, I, I, God, I blush to even pray to you. He recognises the sin and he takes it seriously. He sees the discipline of God in action. This issue that they're, you know, they're remarrying these people, they're intermarrying, that's like, and then following their practice, that's the reason they got exiled. If you remember back to when we watched that video about Jeremiah, said, this is what's going to happen. These people are going to marry them. They're going to be drawn into these practices. And then they're going to be, I'm going to exile them as punishment. And now they're doing it again. He sees the seriousness of the sin. He recognizes God's discipline. And he sees the goodness and favor of God. He says, he says this in Ezra 9 verses 8 and 9. But now a brief moment, for a brief moment, the favor of God has... Uh, let me read this properly, sorry. But, for, but now, for a brief moment, favour has been shown by the Lord our God to leave us a remnant and to give us a secure hold within his holy place that our God may brighten our eyes and grant us a little reviving in our slavery. For we are slaves, they're not completely free, 
Yet God has not forsaken us, but has extended to us his steadfast love before the kings of Persia to grant some reviving, to set up the house of our God, to repair its ruins and to give us protection in Judea and Jerusalem. He sees the goodness of God even in what's going on. He recognises the seriousness of sin. None can stand before you, he says. None. Not just the ones who have done this wrong, horrible thing. None can stand before you, God. Ezra's response is to gather people together who are serious about the things of God. First verse of Ezra 10 says, uh, While he prayed and made confession, weeping and casting himself down before the house of God, a very great assembly of men, women and children gathered to him out of Israel. The people wept bitterly. What's our response to sin? Both our own sin and the sin around us. What's our response to it? Do we like brush it off? No, I, I, I don't know if it was Andy said about we're not grace abusers. I think we... We can feel a bit like that. Oh, you know, there's grace. It doesn't matter. It does matter. There's grace, but it does matter. I think we need to be... Let me think how to phrase this correctly. Be proactive in addressing sin, particularly within the church community. Now, we need to do this in love. We need to be careful and love one another. But if you see someone sinning, if you see me doing something and you think it's sinful, call me out on it, please. I'm giving you permission to do that. Because we should all be giving permission to each other to do that. Hey, I don't think that's how you should talk to your wife, you know. I don't think that's how you should behave. You're welcome to, you know... Bring my children to me to be disciplined. They do something wrong. Yes, we should need to concentrate on our own sin, the community of the church, but also wider around us. We need to be authentic voices in these spaces. Don't brush off sin. Whatever it is, you know, we talked you know, specific things there, but pride. Let's not let people carry on unchallenged because wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. The people's response Ezra does not propose the solution of divorce. It comes from within the community. The people of God who've repeatedly broken covenant with God resulting in their exile have begun uh, to return and they're still doing the very thing again. And the solution proposed, I said, is it's an extreme solution because it's an extreme problem. Shechaniah says this to Ezra, we have broken faith with our God we have broken faith with our God and have married foreign women from the peoples of the land. But even now there is hope for Israel in spite of this. Therefore, let us make a covenant with our God to put away all these wives and their children according to the counsel of my Lord. 
and of those who tremble at the commandment of our God and let it be done according to the law. And then he says this to Ezra, arise for it is your task and we are with you. Be strong and do it. I just want to encourage you, if you are a follower, and I'm not saying this for mine and Andy's benefit, although it would be nice, you know, it is nice when it happens. Your explore group leaders, when they're saying, you know, this week, we're meeting for group this, you know, whatever day, say this to them, arise for it is your task and we are with you, be strong and do it. And then turn up. Like, can I, don't just send that to them in a message. Like, we're with you. Someone's leading a team that you're on. And they say, oh, we, you know, we'd be great to have a team meeting. We're with you. Be a good follower. They make this plan and they divorce these women. I want to just, you know, it's 12 o'clock. I want to do like five minutes more, if that's okay. Um, if it's not okay, I might do it anyway. <laughs> Malachi 2.16 is translated in a number of different ways. All of them say divorce is bad. God is not in favour of divorce as, as a general rule. The New Testament teaching on marriage is, says this. If you're single... No, so if you're single and you want to be married, marry whoever you want as long as they're a believer. If you are already married and your spouse is not a believer, be a gracious, prayer-filled, loving witness of the gospel to your spouse. Paul makes accommodation and says, if because you've become a Christian or because you are a Christian, your spouse wants nothing to do with you, don't try and hold on to them. Let them go. That's what Paul says. He doesn't say you should leave them. He says if they want to go, let them. distinctly different way of life is the calling of every believer. When the Christians and the church look like the world, it's a tragedy. It's not cool and it's not good and it's not helpful. Many Christians have, become, uh, have come unstuck in their faith because they want to be relevant, which isn't a bad thing. Being relevant is quite important. It's no good us talking about, it's okay to dance and go to the cinema. Of course it's okay to go dance and go to the cinema. But there were a number of, you know, Christians of yesteryear, if you got seen going to the cinema, oh, you're in trouble with the pastor. If you were dancing, oh my goodness. We need to be talking about what the issues are. But we can't compromise on the truth in order to be palatable and relevant. And there's a tension there because we have to maintain that radical aspect of following Jesus. We have to maintain it. And we have to be relevant. Jesus talked about stuff that people understood. You know, he's walking along and there's a farmer going like this. 
Someone says, what's the kingdom of God like? Well, there was a farmer sowing seed. You know what a farmer looks like. There he is. We need to be relevant to the people we're talking to. But we need to maintain that radical following of Jesus. We're in a different situation to these people. What does this mean for us? We're in a different situation. We're, what's often true physically in the Old Testament, I think I heard Nicky Gumbel say this, is true spiritually in the New Testament. So what, what the physical issues they had are oftentimes the spiritual issues we had. So maybe we have married ourselves to things we shouldn't have done. We said, I'm in on this. This has got a hold on me. This has got, because, I, I, because I'm attracted to this, I'm going to let it influence my behaviour in certain ways and not follow Jesus. Maybe we've given in to ideas or philosophies that have made following God hard. They're not, the things of the world that aren't compatible with following Jesus Christ. We need those spikes removed from our brain from our minds. Romans 12 says that we're to be transformed by the renewing of our minds and we'll be able to test what God's will is. We're under a different covenant. There's the Old Testament. This, they were told, don't do these things, so they shouldn't do them. Okay, well, we've done them. We need to rectify it. We're under a new covenant. There's grace. There's freedom. Fantastic. Jesus still said, be ruthless with sin. Your right hand causes you to sin. Cut it off. I think, you know, generally speaking, we know he didn't necessarily literally mean cut it off. But understand my hyperbole here. I wish there were a few more one-handed Christians because they took what Jesus said seriously. Do you know what I mean? Like, I think we're too casual with it. If you can't have a smartphone because you're going to look at porn, get rid of your smartphone. It's not hard. It might be slightly inconvenient because you're back to texts and, you know, phone calls. Nothing wrong with that. Let me tell you this. You see someone with an old style phone, you cheer them on, man. Don't think, hey, there's a guy who can't control himself or a girl who can't control himself. Good for you. We're a little bit too shocked by people's sin, I think. Let me tell you, look to the left, look to the right. That person is, you know, sinned quite a lot this week. I'm sorry to say it, you know, and I'm not casting dispersions on you. I'm just, I'm hoping that, you, you know, I know who we are. But we are under a new covenant. So we come to Jesus and we say, I'm sorry for my sin. We fall on our knees and pull at our you know, beards if you've got them and your hair if you've got it. I'm so sorry that I, I've messed up again. This is what it says when, it, when John falls before Jesus in Revelation. So I fell and he put his hand on my head and he picked me up. That's what Jesus does. When you fall on your knees before him and you say, I'm sorry, Lord. I've dealt with it. 
there's a problem of sin. Ezra's response, Jesus' response is greater than Ezra's response. Ezra prayed about it. I can't even, I'm sorry, God. Jesus says, I'll deal with it. I'll deal with it. I'll take the punishment on me. We never, in some ways we do, because we can't just sit, you know, in the shallows. But we never graduate from the gospel. You, until you are in glory, you will have sin in your life that you need to confess and repent and, and take to Jesus. We never graduate from the gospel. Ezra has, like Ezra, Christ, Ezra looked at the people and he said, our sin. He took responsibility for the people. But Christ has done that. He said, I've looked on your sin. I've taken it on myself. And now Ezra interceded. Uh, then Ezra interceded on behalf of the people. said, God, you, you've given us a bit of favor. You know, protect us now and help us now. Jesus is interceding for you. To be truly relevant to a lost and broken world, we, we must be radically ruthless with our sin. Start there. Don't worry about anyone else's sin to begin with. Be radically ruthless with your own sin. And enjoy the grace of God. Enjoy it. Man, I messed up. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm remorseful over it. But I, I'm grateful to Jesus and I get to be, I'm right with God again. You might not be right with the people you've offended, but you're right with God again. Enjoying that grace. Let me pray for us. Uh, Father, I thank you for your grace to us, your love for us, that you, you care for us. You created us for relationship with you, that we might walk in the cool of the day, enjoying your presence, enjoying your creation, enjoying relationship with you. I pray right now you would undo any hurt that I have caused in careless expression. I pray that you would bless my brothers and sisters and myself with a fresh desire for holiness i pray that you would remove these blockages in our brain these spikes in our brain that cause us to think or act differently to how you want us to that we would know your truth the truth would set us free that we would be transformed in our minds and able to follow your will perfectly i pray you'd fill us afresh with the holy spirit Give us a fresh taste of your grace that we would know we are free from guilt and shame. There's no shame in this house. It's a place of freedom where we enjoy the forgiveness and grace of God. Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters who need to be brave and confess their sin to someone else to help keep them accountable. Give them that courage, Lord. Help us to not be shocked when someone says, I, I need you to pray with me and ask God for forgiveness for this sin. Help us to not be 
shocked by that, but to go, let's do it, brother. Let's do it, sister. Help us to enjoy our relationship with you more, Lord. As we get closer to you, as we get nearer to that infinite brightness, burn away the dross that we might be a holy generation shining like stars for your glory, reflecting your grace and love to the world. In Jesus' name, amen.